This is Thinking in Public, a program dedicated to intelligent conversation about frontline theological and cultural issues with the people who are shaping them. I'm Albert Mole, your host and president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Stephen Osment is an American historian. He specializes in early modern and modern history and has taught for many years at Harvard University where he's the McLean Professor of Ancient and Modern History. He's the author of many influential books. His book, The Age of Reform, 1250 to 1550, won the Schaff History Prize in 1981. His latest work is The Serpent and the Lamb, Cronach, Luther, and the Making of the Reformation. Stephen Osment, welcome to Thinking in Public. Thank you. You know, you have written so much about Germany, so much about the Reformation, and uh, back when I was doing doctoral work in historical theology, I first became acquainted with your uh, your research and writing, and uh, and yet this new book brings something completely new to the table in terms of the influence together of Martin Luther and Lucas Cronach, but this has to be told in terms of a story. How did you come to write this book? Well, for many years, I have uh, had Cronach art on the jacket or on the in the pages of my books, and um, I became more and more interested in uh, who this man was. Uh, I quickly found out that um, it was almost impenetrable to move in his direction because he was um, all we have of him really are his pictures. I thought, you know, I could do. Uh, a book on him where I would have all kinds of letters and stuff, but there's just absolutely nothing there. And so I've had to be, become a kind of uh, art uh, historian, which I'm certainly not, um, to do to do this. So my primary sources there were uh, these uh, these paintings, and uh, I think I've done, I've learned enough for a historian to to deal with it. But it was, I think maybe it was just the challenge and just the beauty of uh, of his art that made me put seven years into writing this book. You know, even someone like uh, the, the late Heiko Obermann pointed out that Luther was a man of his times and very much a man of his culture, and you can't separate the two. And you've brought a fascinating understanding to Luther's role as a reformer in terms of the actual partnership that he had with Lucas Cronach. In order to set the tale, tell us who Cronach was. Well, Lucas Cronach was the um, – I could probably tell you more about him if uh, I'd thought about making some comments about on what Cronach did for Martin Luther. Good. If you're interested in that. Absolutely. Well, Luther was very interested in the theological side of the Reformation, um, but he was almost equally, if not more, uh, interested in the domestic front of the Reformation. And the domestic front was really the place where Cranach uh, comes in. Cranach was not a person who was involved in or wanted to be involved in theological uh, dispute and argument. But he was very interested. You know, he had uh, five five children between 1513 and 1520, and Cranach. Uh, that was before Luther had his brood. Uh, of course, the two families mixed up down down the way. But the first thing Cranach did for Luther is to make him famous. Cranach's uh, mass product produced images made Martin Luther the most familiar face in the whole of Europe. It was all the more uh, helpful that Cronach 
uh, owned and operated the only publishing house <laughs> in the area. And most of the books that uh, we, we know about Luther, all of these things were coming out of uh, Cronach's publishing house. So that was the first thing he did, is to give Cronach the gravitas that one can uh, with the press. Another thing he did that I, that I think was not only uh, brave, but uh, really essential for Luther, uh, this is uh, something that Luther probably was very surprised about. Cronach actually, I believe, uh, saved Luther from plunging into a, the iconoclastic controversy in 1519, 1520. This, this controversy was a no-winner for Luther or, or anybody who would want to be associated with him. Had Cranach not intervened there, by that I mean hadn't gone and tapped his new friend Cranach on the shoulder and said, look, uh, it's not a very good thing to join forces with this radical guy, Karlstadt, because what Karlstadt was doing, he was an iconoclast. He wanted to get decorative art out of the churches. And at one point, uh, Luther was uh, very clearly tempted to do that. But had he done that, Cronach, I don't have anything in paper, but Cronach knew that if he succumbed to uh, uh, Karlstadt's uh, sweet uh, siren call, he would have put himself on the wrong side of the greatest relic and image collector of the era, uh, namely uh, the Saxon elector Frederick the Wise. And if he had gone in that direction, he would very quickly have joined Karlstadt in exile. So these were, were really very important things. And in the process of working together, Cronach and Luther, that really settled something that was uh, very important. Cronach also was such a clever man. Uh, he, he knew how to co-opt his enemies, and he was very helpful to Luther in that regard. Cronach, ever wise, uh, when he had a problem like this problem with Karlstadt, his idea was to become a friend of this great iconoclast. Cronach actually became Karlstadt's friend, and a couple of years later after that, the two of them collaborated on the first Protestant broadsheet against Rome. Uh, that the very famous piece called the uh, sure. Pope as Antichrist. Uh, I can go on here. I don't know if you want. Well, to I, I, if, if I could just kind of set the set the story here, uh, just yeah. so that our, our listeners can, can kind of follow where we are. Uh, Lucas Cranach was a famous artist before we come to know Martin Luther. He was oh, the, yeah. the court artist uh, to uh, Frederick the Elector of Saxony, one of the most powerful royals uh, in all of Europe, and a central figure in the Holy Roman Empire. And uh, and it was as Cronach said, as you said of Cronach, he he helped to make first of all Luther famous, and uh, and he also served as something of a mentor to to Luther in terms of court intrigue and in terms of the culture. But l let's talk about that iconoclastic uh, controversy because it, it, when Andreas uh, Karlstadt wanted to remove all the altarpieces, he did so because he felt that that they would lend themselves to idolatry. And uh, how how exactly did Luther settle that theologically in his mind? Because Luther became basically a great patron of the arts, including the arts inside the church. So, so how did that come about? Yeah. Luther believed that uh, man was by nature an image maker. And so he was all for these images, and especially under the guidance with Cranach. You know, after the Reformation's reforms were established uh, on the theological front, Cranach uh, led Luther to the major reforms on the domestic front, 
and uh, art in the churches were very much a part of the domestic uh, front. Well, and you had, of course, all, all this art that we now are able to see that tells the story of the Reformation, and, and we would actually know far less of the Reformation without Cronach's art. And, of course, Cronach's art not only tells us the story of the Reformation, it became a part of that Reformation as, as he transformed the art of the, what well, from the Renaissance into, into far more of a Reformation understanding of of perspective, of, of humanity. And you cover this in your book. Cronach uh, yeah. was, was deeply thoughtful about his art and deeply committed to the Reformation. Yes, it was. Uh, the church is filled with that. And you had an artist here who was just as popular outside the church as he was within the church. And um, that was um, was certainly uh, a major, major part of what of what this pair were trying to do. They were trying to put the uh, gospel into both word and picture. And yes. uh, I think the pictures, some people argue that the pictures were more powerful than the uh, than the sermons. And I think there's uh, a lot of argument one can make about that. Well, and one of those arguments is exactly what was made by Uldrich Zwingli, uh, and that's the reason why he became, uh, you know, a, oh. an actual iconoclast. And and there in Zurich, yeah. took everything out of, of the churches, right. and of course, the more Calvinist stream of the Reformation uh, became iconoclastic all the way, of course, to the Puritans, who in the uh, the the uh, the Revolution uh, actually, you know, toppled the heads off of statues and and uh, desecrated the churches. But Luther theologically settled this, as I understand it. By deciding that it is true, as uh, as Calvin would say, that the human heart is an idol-making factory. But Luther also said it's uh, it's a part of being made in God's image that that human beings are also image makers, and that needs to be put in the service of the gospel rather than uh, th- than in opposition to the gospel. Well, that was certainly true, and and it it was it was a major. I think a major boost of not not that Luther needed to have a big boost, but it was a major boost, I think, to people who came to the church and were interested in following what was happening in the Reformation. Now, when it comes to the Reformation itself, you mentioned that Cronach was not only an artist, he was basically the publisher. He had uh, in his own home, and, and one of the things you detail in your book is is what, uh, to use a more contemporary word, what an entrepreneur he was. He had the only pharmacy in Wittenberg. He uh, he owned a great deal of real estate, uh, and, and he became one of the wealthiest men. You mentioned that he paid the largest property tax of anyone uh, there oh, yeah. in, in, that, yeah. in that city. But uh, here's a man also who, uh, who in his art w- was continually calculating, making a point. And one of the things I appreciate about any art history, and, and frankly, that's at least a part of what you're doing in this book, is that you take us into the paintings and show us what we otherwise might not see. In, in terms yeah. of Cronach and the Reformation, the, the things that, for instance, we might not see is, is Luther presented in action, Luther presented as kind of a, the prototypical German, Luther presented as, uh, as the brave and heroic figure. Do we owe a lot of what we associate with uh, Luther's uh, heroism to Cronach, the artist? I, I, I think that Cronach uh, was trying to keep him, both himself and Luther down to earth. And I think with their feet flat on the, on the ground, yes. they were... They were a better team than you know if uh, they were just getting a little flighty, like uh, uh, I think they both felt Karlstadt was. Uh, Karlstadt's wanting to strip a decorative art from the churches was it was something that only Cronach could put an end uh, into uh, very quickly because he uh, 
was a, such a clever and, you know, I've, I've called him uh, the serpent, you know. <laughs> he knew how to put a stinger into uh, in Karlstadt. And it was certainly his, his votum was uh, very high on the list of those who were moving uh, Karlstadt out of Wittenberg. Most of us think of the Reformation in terms of a battle of doctrines, of theological systems and religious authorities. But for the Reformation to become real, it had to become realized in local congregations and in local communities. And those communities were deeply embedded in culture. In his new book, The Serpent and the Lamb, Stephen Osmond helps us to understand how culture became a driving force of the Reformation in the Lutheran world and how a singular artist became the major engine of that cultural revolution. Let's talk about Cronach's art. Uh, I think one of the most effective things you bring, and it was uh, it was revolutionary in my understanding of of Cronach's art and work and of the Reformation, was uh, that theme of the domestic, uh, the, the of domesticity, as so central to the Lutheran Reformation, and that's tied to the fact that, uh, of course, uh, Cronach himself had a, a a very happy marriage and a large family, and yep. and so did Luther. And Luther, of course, giving up his roles an Augustinian monk committed to celibacy. Uh, found his way to Katerina, the, uh, the the nun who had given up her vows, and they created uh, just what history records as an incredibly happy family. Tell us the story of how that gets translated into Cronach's art. Well, if I could back up just a little bit, uh, there is this theological front, and it's not completely separate from the what I call the domestic front. But for the success of the Reformation, uh, I think the domestic front was was more vital. And on the domestic front that uh, Cronach, you know, had all of the weapons. Uh, you know, as the father, he was the father of five children born between 1513 and 1520. Uh, he was the Protestant's Dr. Spock in matters of parenthood and child rearing. Those matters were greatly increased as uh, the two of them uh, came together as a team, and both of them were intermixing their family. Uh, in 1525, uh, Cronach stood as the best man at Luther's wedding. Almost that quickly, he was godfather to Luther's uh, firstborn. So you have a development, a reform re- a development that is really being carried along on the feet of children and uh, men who are not only geniuses, but uh, quite uh, capable of uh, selling uh, the message. Uh, There's that, uh, I don't know whether this is quite proper to try to pick this out and pass it on, but there is that statement that was uh, was made, the statement by Heinrich Heine that the loins of Cronach's Venus were more substantial theses than those the German monk placed on the doors of the church in Wittenberg. Uh, in a certain way, that seems sacrilegious, but in another way, that shows the uh, attractive power and the new ways of sending the Reformation to its victory. Well, Cronach had been uh, under the employ, at least in part, to Cardinal Albrecht. In other words, he had he had served Catholic patrons. He was deeply trained in classical art and classical imagery, 
And and yet uh, he's most famous now for uh, not only some of those classical uh, paintings, but also his paintings of the domestic scene of the family, his paintings of biblical scenes, and of course, ultimately, his altarpieces in cities such as Wittenberg and Weimar. Uh, tell us how he changed the way that the human being or the human body is actually portrayed in art. And that's very interesting. You know, I, I, he he is the uh, accounter to Dewar in many ways. Uh, Dewar has these uh, great large figures, but Cranach uh, is very sparing in dealing, certainly with his the artistic uh, portrayals of women. No, there, there's all this talk about Cranach being a Renaissance man, and the the Renaissance men painted women. Uh, in ways that I think women today and maybe women then probably didn't like like the way before. They were kind of enlarged. Exaggerated. And, uh, yes, yeah, that's exaggerated. a way to put it. Yes. And Cronach uh, never did that. He flattered women. Cronach painted women as women see themselves today. <laughs> And that's about all I can say about it, I guess. You know? Well, I, I think one of the things you say in your book is is the fact that, that he, he brought sexuality and marriage, the domestic sphere, and children into kind of a proper realistic frame. Uh, he gloried yeah. in them, but he didn't, uh, he, didn't, he didn't create superhuman figures. And, uh, and you mentioned that he wanted to keep his feet and Luther's feet on the ground. I, I mean, Luther comes across not as the most handsome human being. He, he you know, he, he is there literally warts and all. And uh, and you know, even the even the women in in Cronach's paintings, who who are can, can be very very beautiful, are are presented in a way that's remarkably different than 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 his uh, those who came before him in terms of of the history of art. Yes, he's um, he was the he was the master at that at that level. Now, what about the marriage itself? One of the things you point out in your book is that one of the ways that both Cronach uh, and Luther normalized marriage, and, and indeed the marriage of clergy, was through their art. Well, art backed it up, but I think there there was a great hunger within the clergy, the Catholic clergy, before the Reformation to uh, get rid of celibacy. And Cronach and Luther had all of the weapons you could want in fighting fighting that fight. So I'm not so sure that the um, it was that big a part, but it, it was a major reform on what I would call the domestic front of, of the Reformation. Well, in terms um, of Luther preaching and, and teaching you know, the, the the truths that that shaped the Reformation, the the, the revolutionary. Teachings concerning justification and and the reform of the church. One of the central reforms that he pointed to was the elimination of celibacy, which he thought was not only unnecessary but was dangerous. He he saw in in marriage, oh yeah, and, and the conjugal union of the man and, and the woman, and in the, the experience of being a father. He see, he saw that as a necessary grounding, not only just for you might say the pastor or the preacher's humility, but for his understanding of of the gospel. I certainly agree with I agree with that too. The way I see this is that you know he has these two fronts, and to get into the domestic front, it was very important to have someone like Cronach who could paint children in ways that just made you they were just endearing. There couldn't have been a better uh, pairing if you wanted to make this transition uh, into family. What what this means? Cronach led Luther in the major reforms on the uh, domestic front. Uh, unencumbered 
courtship and marriage. That's one of the big issues on the domestic front. Sex and progeny, both clergy and laity, you know, without any church interventions or uh, kind of a, a freedom of the of the domestic front uh, was the uh, was the line that they were trying to build. And of course, uh, it couldn't have been better to have Cranach, the father of five children, uh, there to join uh, Luther's uh, battle on the uh, on the domestic uh, domestic front. You know, we think about Luther, uh, salvation by faith alone, and and all of these theological things, but those those theological things are are what what he's trying to do is to create a front, a domestic front there, that can take and build you know, cities of Christians. And without that freedom, you know, he really couldn't go anywhere. He says things, you know, like uh, women should, you know, have children and bear children and uh, bear themselves out having children. And when he says that, you know, it sounds kind of harsh for the modern people, but what he's really saying is it's, it's, it's the awakening of a sexuality was the awakening and the creation of domestic households. Yes. Uh, if you go, I mean, his, his theology, as it is de- dealing with the, uh, childbearing and, uh, no, he says, he makes these wonderful c- comments like, what is a man needs a, needs a woman and what is a woman needs a man. Yes. He's, these wonderful, uh, anecdotes, you know, he and Katie have in celebrating their wedding vows and celebrating their, you know, their children. Uh, all of that is the deep foundation of creating a community in which biblical principles are completely uh, enveloped. And, yes. Uh, so Carl, that way, yeah. So Cronach's art. That way. Cronach's art is actually affirming what Luther is teaching, because Luther clearly taught the normativity of marriage to the extent that. A young man, as soon as he knows that awakening, should should seek to uh, get himself married to a wife, and as soon as they are married, to receive the gift of children. Unless one was uh, was given the gift of uh, of, of celibacy, uh, or as you point out in your book, was a eunuch, the expectation was uh, he gets married, and and once married, has children. And Luther saw this as, as one way of driving the Reformation, as you said, literally by having godly progeny who are raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and and in the teachings of the Reformation. I couldn't agree agree more with you there. You you know so much here. I don't know why you need to be on this telephone. Well, your 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 book is just so informative about about Cronach's role because most of us are especially in historical theology and, and church history. We we're aware of Luther. We've got paintings of Luther by Cronach, for that matter, hanging on our walls. But you really help us to understand how Cronach was his partner in this, and, and quite frankly, you you make uh, you make things visible to us that, that weren't visible, such as in the Wittenberg altarpiece. You you point out uh, the one young woman who is staring out from the painting, and and it affected me greatly when you pointed out that art historians believe that that might be Cronach putting in yes. there Magdalena, yes. the the daughter of Martin Luther, her, yes. his, the cherished thirteen year old girl who died. I'll never look at that painting the same way. Yeah, that's. Uh... Those, all of those paintings are just wonderful. Well, if you had one favorite Cronach painting, and and I know you've seen so many of them, what would that be, and why? I like the uh, flight from Egypt. The, uh, that's it's a very early painting, and it's one of the most popular of his paintings. It's a wonder because it uh, you have these. Um, if you have it in color, it's uh, just knocks your feet off, and it's always been from the beginning 
from its first sight, it's been probably the most popular of his paintings. You got this beautiful picture of the uh, Holy Family in flight to Egypt, and the, they're accompanied by little angels. Now, when Cranach in his work gets in trouble, he brings up the babies, the babes. You know, yes. When you want to cure melancholy, what do you do? You know, get some babies there, get some kids there, get some wine, get some f- food, and that melancholy won't be there much longer. But this, these, this painting especially, you have these pudi and uh, other little people playing around, and they're going around and picking up strawberries and giving strawberries, because strawberries are the food of uh, children in heaven who uh, died uh, before they were, you know, could live. And so it's uh, it's just a it's just a I've just opened up my book here. It's just a wonderful picture, but he has so many of these. I would hate to. Well, I kind of feel the same way. I, I know so far so much less about Cronach than you, but I'll, I'll tell you, as much as I love the altarpieces and the paintings of Luther, the two paintings of his that I think affect me the most looking at them are his two on melancholy, the, the orange yeah. and, and the red. Yeah, and what I, right. what I love about them is, is, and you pointed out the presence of these children, for instance, in the orange melancholy of 1528, you have uh, a, a mother, I presume, or a young woman looking at four little babies playing with a puppy. And right. and they look so yeah. real. And the look on her face is so, well, so much like a young mother looking at, at babies playing with a puppy, exactly what you would expect. But in the background, there's cosmic warfare out the window. That's so right. Even yeah. as that cosmic spiritual warfare is yeah. going on, there's the real life of the domestic yeah. happiness of the home, which is so essential to understanding Luther and, for that matter, the Lutheran Reformation. It just shows the balance of uh, uh, Lutheran theology you know, a similar uh, used to say peccator, you know, you know, the dark side, the bad side, uh, uh, and the, the the good side of uh, life in a theological way. All of the things you've mentioned there in that regard, I think, are nobody else has done things like that. He was so challenging when I was uh, was working with him, but because I didn't have anything except these darn pictures. And so the more I looked at the pictures, that was the only thing I had because there was so little written materials there that he had left behind. I got uh, so deeply involved in these pictures that I actually would just kind of dream about some of these things. They were just so effective. It just made such such an impact on my mind and uh, eyes. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if you've gone quite that far. Well, I, I, I will tell you that, that I immediately feel like I understand Luther better by Cronach's art. I, that, yes, yeah. that's the first thing. All these years when I was using these Cronach uh, paintings uh, in books about the Reformation, all of a sudden I, I began to learn and see more about what the Reformation really was. Uh, who would have known that Cronach was going to take all of these um this is coming from Luther. You know, Luther says he's got melancholy, you know, here's what you do, you know, get some grapes, uh uh get get your wife, you know, have a little sex and do this and do this and uh, he just lays lays it out there and uh all of a sudden you 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 almost through his work you almost get a kind of uh uh antidote to uh migraine or whatever. You know, it is it, 
there is there is healing in this kind of art. You know, you can, no, I agree. You can hear a sermon from from Luther, which or were words, uh, but you you bring in the color and you art. You know, so those words suddenly puff up and get really powerful. You know, that's I, right. Uh, I described I discovered so much, and I still continue when I I open Cranach books. I often tell people, my students in particular, that I wish I'd had the opportunity to study with Calvin, but to live yeah. with Luther. <laughs> yeah. I, I would love to be a part of that household because Luther found such joy in his wife and in his children, and it mm-hmm. comes through in his preaching, and it comes through in his last words, you know, in that last letter that he wrote to, to, to his dear Katie, in, in which he said to her, you know, grieve not for me, for I'm going to the only one who loves me more than thee. Yeah, and nice. you know you just have in luther such a such a warm uh fully human man and and uh, in your book on germany you point out that uh that luther you know just helped to normalize what it meant to be german not only to fix the yeah. german language by his bible translation but but to make germans think okay this is who we are yeah those uh reactions both men lost a child uh, prematurely uh, Cronach uh, had a son, I think he at 24, he died, very good good artist himself. And Luther had a daughter at 13, that's that daughter that you mentioned earlier. Yes. And um, when that happened, they tried to really comfort each other. Uh, so these are these are two guys who who worked together, you know, against Rome and other 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 great dangers, uh, but they. They were always there to to stand by the side of other. And that's why you, that we have so many um, occasions where Cronach is a godfather to um, one or another uh, Luther child and vice versa. This kind of syncopated artistic and oratorial uh, criticism uh, that they created kind of, kind of won the freedom of faith and the pluralism of religion. I think in the Western world forevermore. Behind all of that is the way in which children and children who are talented and children are, who are dying. I mean, you get the the whole world of of, of religion in life uh, in these these workings, uh, art workings, and yes. you can pipe in uh, the, some of these elegant uh, sermons from uh, from Luther. The book is The Serpent and the Lamb, Cronach, Luther, and the Making of the Reformation, published by Yale University Press. Professor Osmond, I know that this book represents years of your life devoted in the research and writing of the book. What is your next project? Well, my next project, I write Western Civ and World Civ books because I believe deeply in these books. When youngsters go out to school for the first time, you know, they don't know where they are, but if you've got a good Western Civ course or World Civ course, at least they can see where they are. They can find their place in the world. So Absolutely. I uh, revise these books in uh, in the summers, and I'll be doing that uh, this, this summer, too. It'll be the, what is it, the 33rd uh, edition of the, of the book. Uh, wow. That says something in and of itself. Stephen Osment is the McLean Professor of Ancient and Modern History at Harvard University. Professor Osment, thank you for joining me for Thinking in Public. Well, thank you very much, too, and I look forward to uh, seeing what comes of it.
As human beings, we are composite cells. We have ears with which to hear, eyes with which to see, and we read and we hear, but we also see a great deal of the reality around us. And most of us, especially as evangelical Protestants, underestimate the influence in our lives of the visual of indeed visual art, such as the art of Lucas Cranach, about which Stephen Osment has already told us so much. Stephen Osment is one of the world's most influential scholars on the Reformation and in the history of Germany, and both of those particular fields of study would have a great investment and interest in Lucas Cranach and Martin Luther. But Stephen Osmond is also a man with theological training, and he cares deeply about the doctrine and theology of the Reformation. But in his new book, The Serpent and the Lamb, he makes very clear that those are inseparable from the artistic expression of the Reformation and the singular role that was played alongside Martin Luther by Lucas Cranach, the great artist. Now, one of the most fascinating parts of the conversation was when Professor Osmond tells us that Cranach is so historically inaccessible to us. We don't have uh, the kind of biographical materials. We don't have the kind of letters that would give us the insight into the life and times of an individual and so often into his own thinking and, uh, and his thought process as well. Instead, what we have is art and, and a huge body of art, uh, a body of art that tells a story or even multiple stories. But you come to understand that the art of Lucas Cranach is then inseparable from the Lutheran Reformation. And you could put that in reverse. The Lutheran Reformation is thus also inseparable from the art of Lucas Cranach. In this new book, Professor Osment tells a tale, and he tells it very well. As in so many of the best works on history, he opens a door into a room of knowledge that we otherwise would have no access to. And in a book like this, he puts it in concise and in very focused form. He does tell the story of the relationship between Luther and Cranach, and as a matter of fact, there's more about Cranach in this book than about Luther. And that's probably the way it should be. We have so much access to Luther. Luther, as I've often said to my students, uh, evidently never had an unarticulated thought. And most of those seem to have made their way into a book or into a writing, if not one by Luther, then one about Luther. But when we look at Cronach, he is more distant from us. But that requires a more careful investigation. That's the kind of investigation that produces the kind of work that we have in, in The Serpent and the Lamb by Stephen Osment. When I think about the meaning of all of this, I, I think it gets back to the fact that we as human beings, as Luther affirmed, made in the image of God, are image makers, and that can so quickly turn to idolatry. And that's why the iconoclastic kind of impulse that came with the Reformation was, was rightly concerned with the fact that there was idolatry and there was idolatrous confusion in the churches. In order to get rid of that temptation, Karlstadt and others, especially Zwingli and Zurich, were ready to just get rid of all the images. But Luther took a middle way, as he did in so many other issues as well. He took an uncompromising stand for justification by faith, for the authority, the final authority of Scripture alone, and for so many other of the prized doctrines of the Reformation. But Luther was living the Reformation, not just leading it. And in the process of living it, he was also living life. He was discovering the joys of marriage. He was discovering the inexpressible joys of, of fatherhood and also the sorrows of losing a child. He wanted to normalize all of this in such a way that he would lead the church into an embrace of the domestic sphere as well as of the church as the arena where the Reformation would be won or lost, where by the, the begetting and the raising of godly progeny, the Reformation would be furthered. Luther was a man in full, as Thomas Wolfe would later say. He, he was a man who, in his multidimensionality, 
was living right on the edge of one of the great turning points in human history. Now, we look back and see it as the Great Reformation of the 16th century, but we need to remember that those who were living it at the time knew what a close-run thing it could be. Luther knew what it was like to be on the winning side of an argument, but he also knew what it was like to hide in Wartburg Castle against uh, a threat against his own life by the very power of the Holy Roman Empire and of the Roman Catholic Church. And also in the man, Lucas Cranach, you had a very real man who was making his way in the 16th century, not only as it turned out as an artist, but also as a reformer. What does this say to us today? Well, it reminds us that culture is all around us, that we are all more acculturated than we might even want to think, and that the issues that Luther and Cranach were dealing with in the Reformation of the 16th century are still with us. All of the theological issues are still with us, and all of the church issues are still with us, and all of the domestic issues are still with us. I especially appreciated the part of the conversation with Stephen Osmond when we were talking about our favorite paintings. And I go back to those two paintings on melancholy and to the fact that what you have in this is Lucas Cronach depicting this cure for melancholy being, well, just looking at what God gives us in children, in babies, in puppies. I also appreciate the honesty of Cronach in that in both of these paintings, outside the window, in the heavens, you can see visibly, artistically portrayed there, spiritual warfare. That spiritual warfare is real, and we will be helpless against it, but for Christ. But Christ has also given us the delights of the home, children, wives, husbands, mothers, fathers, and we should embrace those joys as a part of his gift to us in the gospel as well. Perhaps the best way to end this conversation is with one of those mottos that came out of the Reformation, Semper Reformanda. The Reformation must continue. And of course, as the Reformers have made very clear, the church must be continually reformed according to the Word of God. Thanks again to my guest, Professor Stephen Osment, for thinking with me today. Before signing off, I want to encourage you to begin making plans now to attend D3, a special conference for high school students taking place on the campus of Southern Seminary, June 25 through 28 of this year. Now in its third season, D3 will be an action-packed summer opportunity, complete with worship and life-shaping opportunities and deep biblical knowledge. Join Dan Dumas, Eric Bancroft, and join me as we seek to develop students' understanding of leadership, worldview, and missions. For more information, visit sbts.edu. Thanks for joining me for Thinking in Public. Until next time, keep thinking. I'm Albert Moeller.